Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And there's a flow, an underlying rhythm to life that fuels and evokes effective leadership. We can all lead more productively and sustainably in or out of the workplace by learning to access our natural strengths and connect them with the power of the larger order of all things. Finding our way back to community, to wholeness, to connection in the deepest sense of the word is key. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your heart and mind, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Dr. Perry Chickering is a coach, consultant, herbalist, and leadership educator. Her early career as a mountaineer and wilderness guide took her around the world where she created wilderness-based leadership schools in South Africa and Bulgaria. Taking her leadership experience from the outdoors inside, Perry has worked with clients in private, governmental, and non-profit sectors. She is the author of the new book, Leadership Flow, The Unstoppable Power of Connection. And I love this title. I feel like I have known her forever. I think you listeners are going to feel like you've known her forever, and she's probably been on our show before, but she hasn't, and I can't believe that. Welcome, Perry. (laughs) Thank you very much, Julie. It's great to be with you. I have read this book, and then I um, literally went over to um, make a Facebook connection with you so I could tag you to promote the show, and so that invitation is waiting there. And I looked, and we only have three common friends, and I thought, how is this possible? How have I never met you before. So I'm excited to introduce you to our larger community and this worldwide network of, of people that you're going to feel so resonant with. Perry, I'm excited to to meet you and to have this conversation today. But we do have a, a traditional first question here on the show before we get into the content of this book, which is brilliant, by the way. Um, my first question helps us to kind of set this conversation in a larger whole world view. And so I like to ask our guests, can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Oh, that's a wonderful place to start, along with the pausing and breath. Thank you very much. All things connected. For me, it, it's been my experience of life since I was born. So... I think the biggest shock for me was growing up and coming to know that not all the world feels connected to everything, uh, everything around them. So for me, all things connected um, is not only about the fact that we're connected to everything around us, large and small, but it also flags that there is no moment that um, is insignificant. In one sense, no moment that's smaller or bigger than any other because every moment you are 
action has impact. Mm. That's an interesting response when we think about the moment. And, and you do write about time. I think we'll get to a few questions on, on the role of time and our relationship with time is, is how you phrased it in the book, which I really appreciate. So it's fascinating that you're talking about the moments. And we, we talk about coming into this present moment in this book as well. So thank you for that lead-in. And actually, as I was reading your book, I heard the answer to what is all things connected mean to you on almost every page of this book. I'm really <laughs> thrilled. I'm really thrilled, you can tell. Mm. So, But Perry, you speaking of your life and, and feeling and experiencing this since childhood, you've had a rich and meaningful life, innately developing your leadership capacity from real life experience. I appreciate how you weave your experiences into the book. So let's start with you. Who is Perry Chickering and how did you arrive in this place of the unstoppable power to connect? Oh, oh, oh boy, that's a great place. Uh, who is Perry Chickering? Um, <laughs> well, actually, that's a wonderful place to start because in many respects the writing of this wonderful little book was a way for me to uh, describe a deep inherent knowing um, that for a long time I found challenging to articulate in words. And as I do write about in the book, so as the decades sort of rolled by, um, I had more and more opportunities to try to describe a way of living that is in sync with the rhythms of this intelligent whole. And uh, for me, a lot of the awareness of that came through just weeks, months, uh, more than that, decades uh, in the outdoors. I spend a lot of time in the outdoors. And as, as I describe in the book, the three threads that have been my life's work are nature, spirituality, and leadership. And so in, in the question of who is Perry Chickering, basically Perry Chickering is a person born to wonder about those three things and how they're woven together. And my the outer forms of my work have varied from as you said mountaineer to business consultant to executive director i've had a, a professor i've had a lot of outer jobs all of them centered around those three threads and how they work um so who am i i'm a i'm a woman born to wonder about uh, all things connected, actually, and and how to live with a very deep awareness of that and the power of that reality. Mm. Perry, you even write in this quest of nature, spirituality, and leadership um, as a young woman when you got the feedback that you you did a good job, but you know, you need to work with ice and snow a little better, and then you go to Alaska and say, okay, let's do this. And I'm reading that just shivering, like, oh, my gosh, I I would not go to Alaska and do that. I just, I marvel at the stories that you weave in the book, and you talk about a lot of 
those are outdoors and in the wilderness and in nature itself. And, and I really, really appreciate your appreciation of nature in the book. You're braver than I, girl. <laughs> yeah, born born to wander in the wild, which uh, had the edge of really wondering how to connect that inherent um, love to contribution and service to others. Because, uh, you know, if I had my druthers, I'd probably just be wandering out there uh, where there are no people. Um, and yet, Part of my call has been to contribute to the well-being of the whole, so I've had to figure out how to, you know, take that awareness and, and bring it to be of service to others. Yeah. So many people don't have that innate capacity honed in yet to live for the good of the whole, and and you have done that. And um, I do appreciate how you've, br- you've brought your love of nature to um, kind of mainstream and Main Street leadership. It's its really <laughs> brilliant there. And wisely, you structure the book with the native intelligence of the seven directions. Explain how you wrote the book and why you chose to use the seven directions to teach leadership. <laughs> oh, well, those are... Okay. Yes. Uh, so writing the book uh, was very challenging for me. And I started... I started just kind of writing. I didn't have a structure. The first few drafts that I got feedback on were, nice try. (laughs) You can do better. Uh, My father, who was a wonderful um, resource, very tactful on the first rounds, you know, said, this is good, good, good. And 72 key concepts on this first draft. You need to (laughs) whittle that down a little. So, the beauty of arriving at the seven directions was actually out of total frustration. I had written, I don't know how many drafts. I couldn't find the structure. And I had a book coach at that point. And out of sheer frustration, when we're having like the Groundhog Day version of this, I blurted out, I said, for God's sake, it's the bloody seven directions. Everybody knows the seven directions. Mm-hmm. And there was this very long pause. And she said, what did you say? I said, the seven directions. You know, it's how the world works. Everybody knows that. <laughs> and she goes, I think you just found the structure of your book. <laughs> and I have to say I was shocked that, um, and shocked and not shocked. Uh, in indigenous traditions, of course, much of the, the reality of these domains of intelligence is lived. It's oral. It's um, it's an embodied experience. So the minute you sort of drop it on paper, um funny things can happen. But the seven directions, once I had that structure, the book came together in about three weeks. And I Mm. thought, whoa, oh, you know, because to the seven, it's what I know. And for whatever reason, I've always known. And I think um, human beings are deeply wired to these domains of intelligence. And and as kids, we are very wired to them. And then we sort of get educated out of them, unfortunately. So, that's how I came about that, and that's also why all the proceeds of the book go to First Nations causes, because I didn't, I don't own this way of understanding. It's been around for tens of thousands of years, so I, I, I can take no credit for it and no money for it. Mm. I appreciate that about 
your generosity there. It's, it's beautiful. And before we dig into those individual directions and, and really talk about the, the leadership pieces, I'd love to hear what the subtitle of the book means to you, The Unstoppable Power of Connection. What does that mean to you? So the, the subtitle was, was my attempt, as was the word flow, to point to this web of intelligence. Leadership is a very challenging word because of the general concepts about leadership, which is one of the edgy things of the book. It's meant to be a bit of a crossover book and an attempt to redefine what leadership is. So for me, I had to signal that talking about leadership was connected um, to what was about connection, basically, um, as opposed to position or um, the traditional definition. So for me, the unstoppable power of connection means that um, we are born connected, uh, we die connected, we live connected, um, and it's our birthright. And in that sense, it's eternal. You know, I messed around with a few other words, like the indomitable, because I do feel like when you live in a way that's connected, you have a level of support that's that's unbelievably powerful, which is also why you also need to be very thoughtful about how you live. So those are a few thoughts about that unstoppable power of connection and then of course we should follow up with the title because i just as you were talking i'm i'm seeing leadership flow on your cover and thinking about you're right it's usually a position of leaders and followers and the flow has the letters (laughs) of followers in it but you write you wrote leadership flow is a way of life that builds wisdom character and assurance from the inside out and from the outside in. Is that your definition of leadership flow, or do you want to add anything? Well, I think what I would say is for me, leadership flows from a way of life. That's the redefinition of leadership. Is And, and everyone has a leadership gift, and it flows as they live their story. So leadership flow is a way of life and your leadership, it just naturally flows from there and it, and it makes the perfect contribution because it's connected to a, a web of intelligence. Yeah. We're going to get into some of those things where literally our listeners can attune with their greatest gifts and see how leadership does flow. But I, I used one of my favorite quotes in the introduction. And um, ironically, I, I highlighted in the book and circled and hearted and, and drew stars around it. And then um, I saw it in your press kit as well. And it's one of my, it's, I love this sentence. It's one of my favorites. Finding our way back to community, to wholeness, to connection in the deepest sense of the word is key. Say more about this journey. What does it mean to come back to community, to wholeness, to connection? For me, I think 
that's actually what it means to be human. As odd as that may sound, because we're born to, to um, seems to be the journey of, of being, not becoming, being human is owning all parts of ourselves. And, and life conspires to help us do that by bringing us challenge, by bringing us grace, by bringing us people who drive us crazy, which <laughs> is the crazier they drive us, the more they are offering a deep insight into a part of us that we haven't claimed as true. And so a lot of what I, a lot of it seems like my coaching and my work is helping people um, remember they're meant to be whole with all the pieces and parts that, um, not, that, that we all have as human beings. And so, and it is a journey because the challenges of, for instance, in your 30s, in my experience, is more about individuation, um, you know, testing, um, figuring, creating some sort of ballast and gravitas in your own experience. And like, oh, you can, you know, become resilient and stand up again when you, things don't work out so well. And, and it's, and you know, in my 60s now, it's like my, um, my work is different, equally as interesting. And the basic practices are similar. But I think in your 30s, you kind of care about what people think. And then, at least in my experience, when you get into your 60s, you're like, oh, whatever. doesn't matter so much now. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, the journey towards wholeness. Um, and that's it does take a community. I mean, it's, it's all about paradox. Like, you do have to live your life alone, oddly. But it takes a community to um, help you become whole. Yeah. Yeah, you write about that. And, you know, just speaking of the community, you say that leadership's a team sport. And you write about the importance of diversity of expertise, where um, the key metric for success is the, I love this, the health of the well-being, the health and well-being of all employees. So, like, when we start to measure how healthy is the whole, how successful is the whole, it's a whole different concept for most of us. Um Explain how this is essential in leadership as well. When we finally get to this place of I'm whole and I'm part of a greater whole, so I have to care about the success of my fellow employees or fellow community members or uh, the health and the success of, of that community. Right. Now, this is interesting because, again, in, in, a, in, a, in different cultures and different contexts, um, that what you just said is less of an issue because it is more about the collective and the community. For yeah. instance, in certain Eastern cultures, that's a given. And their challenge is more of the individuation part, like the individuals really claiming their gifts. I know I, I went to Japan to help start an outward bound school in Japan and Korea. And it was very interesting to to do, to sort of tee up some of the kind of things that I was used to doing and uh, like I did a trust fall with the group 
you know, where you're in the middle and you lean back. And the first time I did it, I said, okay, you do this. You step up. I lean back and they, the, the, everybody just stepped aside and I hit the floor. <laughs> I sort of laughed and thought, whoa, okay, this is where the collective hasn't been given permission for each individual to stand up and actually catch me. It was such a, I love that. I love that experience because it's my first experience of where the collective is dominant and the individual takes more of a second seat. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and I think it's part of um, a big movement here in the West is to figure out how you you bring people's gifts out. Because, of course, in our industrialized sort of history, you know, it was more the image of a machine and everybody's just cogs on a wheel and they're all supposed to just do one thing. Um, and that worldview hasn't... Um, it, well, not only is it very non-helpful now, but um, I think uh, it took a real toll on that very specific way of thinking about the health of all people. Yeah, it it really is this delicate new dance into a balance for all of us, isn't it? And, and yes. even blending cultures like you're talking about here, I think is so important when we're talking about diversity and um, mm -hmm. you write about how we're stronger when we're diverse. And so this is an important conversation, especially here in the West. And the, the other, so speaking of diversity, you one of the other themes that you write about that I really appreciate is the idea of self-mastery as the taproot of the whole and embracing our natural skills and instincts that connect us to the deeper universal intelligence. Can you say more about our natural skills and how this becomes this taproot that is, is a big part of this vertical axis that you write about? Yeah, so, and I think this relates to um, the the journey towards wholeness is, uh, you know, for, uh, I think everybody, uh, myself included, you know, you go through, you go through very periods of your life where you, you, you're living your parents' your notions of what you should do, you're living other people's ideas. Um, so the ability to find your way to those things that are most natural for you and your way of contributing um, is oddly no small task. It takes a lot of courage. You know, I think you sort of wander there and then you sort of get lost again and then you have to come back. Um, but that's the, the self-mastery. It's a combination of owning your own gifts and then learning um, how to, how do I say this, how to nest them in this idea of, of becoming fully human. So for instance, um, as we get into the directions, you know, how do your gifts naturally bring out emotional intelligence? Or maybe a lot of, like I was a mountaineer, so I was very physically strong. Um, and at certain phases in my life, I, I used my physical capacity to try to pretend that I didn't have certain emotional things going on. Um, so the self-mastery is about becoming whole in all the seven directions with your gifts as the, um, as like the, 
for the word that comes to me which is kind of funny it's like the fertilizer for your learning <laughs> so it's mastery relative to your own gifts um, and those are held between learning how to be a full human being with your body um, intelligence, your emotional intelligence, your mental capacity and your spiritual um, contribution. I love it. Well, you just gave our listeners a little brief preview. We're going to, after the break, dig into those seven directions and and talk a little bit more um, in depth about each one of those. And um, before we do break, I just want to thank you again. You talk about the self in service of the whole instead of the self in service of the self and I just really want to just presence that and honor that that this is an important part of of um, all seven of the directions and this the shift in our culture of really learning how to live for the good of the whole so thank you Perry and thank you listeners for tuning in after the break you're going to hear some really good advice in seven sweet directions of how you can be unstoppable in your power of connection and leadership. We're going to take a quick break and we return more with Perry Chickering. We'll be right back. You're listening to Empower Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at EmpowerRadio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at EmpowerRadio.com. If a disaster struck right now, what would you and your family do first? Would you stay where you are or leave? What if you and your family were separated? Would your kids know what to do? How would you get in touch with them if your cell phone isn't working? Would the subways aren't running? Don't wait until a disaster strikes to figure it out. It's your responsibility to make a plan for you and your family ahead of time. To learn how, take our readiness challenge at nyc.gov slash readynewyork or call 311 for information. In this online tool, you'll be faced with real-life challenges, forcing you to make quick decisions at every turn to teach you the importance of being prepared for a disaster. Without a plan, it's like you're putting your family in a disaster. Visit nyc.gov slash readynewyork or call 311 for information. A public service announcement brought to you by the New York City Office of Emergency Management and the Ad Council. You're struggling with your mortgage. You think about it. You don't do anything but think about it. What are we going to do if we lose the house? Where are we going to go? At work. I can't let anybody find out. I'm so embarrassed. At dinner. How can I tell the kids? It's going to wreck their lives. And at 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get through this. What's going to happen to us? It's time to stop thinking. It's time to start dialing. Call 1-888-995-HOPE for a free government program that offers expert one-on-one advice about your mortgage options. I'm all alone. No, you're not. We've helped over a million homeowners, and we want to help you. And now there are more ways to help. 
Call 1-888-995-HOPE or visit makinghomeaffordable.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. Yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. Or maybe he's teething. Maybe it's just a phase. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. And on the leading edge of personal, social, and global transformation, I invite you to be a way shower, a change agent, and make connections that inspire and accelerate our collective awakening and planetary healing. Stay connected every week with my newsletter where you'll find meaningful content, opportunities, and inspiration. You can sign up at juliecrawlemail.com. Again, that's juliecrawl, K-R-U-L-L, email. And since we're talking about living for the good of the whole and really nurturing this innate capacity that you all have, I just want to drop in goodofthewhole.org. It's a great resource for you. There's a huge resource um, hub there for you find all kinds of different information and links and people and organizations and amazing people who are living for the good of the whole on the planet. Today, my guest is Perry Chickering author of Leadership Flow, The Unstoppable Power of Connection. You can find Perry at perrychickering.com. That's C-H-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G.com. Perry, welcome back to the second half. Um, This will be fun, digging into the seven directions a little bit more. You you write in the book about the vertical axis and the horizontal being, um, the vertical being, more of the beingness, our B-E-I-N-G, beingness, and the horizontal as the doing. And I really appreciate how, you know, usually when we call in the directions, we begin with the the east and we turn to the east and we're, we're in the more of that doing access and end up in that vertical access. And I love how you wrote this, bringing us into that vertical axis first. And maybe you want to say just a, a bit about that before we jump into that first direction, which is above, as you titled it, the trust in trust in life, trust life. So do you want to say anything about why you started with the vertical and um, then move out to the horizontal? Absolutely. Um, the vertical axis of being, as I um, describe it, is, I believe less familiar when people those people who i think have been exposed to some version of the directions and when you look at the horizontal axis of doing when we talk about heart mind body spirit kinds of things those are more familiar i think for people the the essences of the vertical axis of being are also 
somewhat familiar. I mean, in a business context, probably less so. <laughs> but um, this gets back to where we actually were stopping before the break because it's the vertical axis of being, which for me is the, is the cosmic guidance system for how you go to action. Mm. And without that, um, a lot of action is, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, or a lot bit <laughs> imprecise. It's random. You're, you know, you try one thing, then you try another. So the dance between the three directions that make up the axis of being, which bring you squarely into the present moment, connected to intelligence and practicality, earth, um, is, is where you listen for what to do. Mm. And, I love that. Yeah. I love that. And I love cosmic guidance system. So let's just jump right into the first direction there. This is the above. And you title this as trust life. Can you explain this one a little bit more? So the direction of above has to do with acknowledging that there is a, a creative matrix of intelligence in which we are all embedded and connected. And this is hence back to the, the title, The Unstoppable Power of Connection, um, and obviously all your own personal work. Um, we're in a web. Whether we um, acknowledge it or not, are aware of it, are conscious of it. And so the direction of above has to do with remembering that and then beginning to really trust and honor that there is a deep intelligence um, moving across the, the whole cosmos, and we are connected to that. And it, it is a quality of intelligence that allows you to develop a deep sense of trust that you are carried by something greater than yourself. Uh, it very much helps lay down the judging of like this certain thing that comes to you which looks bad, and then this thing looks good, is the whole thing of judgment about good and bad, who knows? Um, so the direction of above is the embracing of that deep river of intelligence in which you are carried and you can surrender to and you can let go to and, um, and trust very deeply. And to feel that in yourselves, not just in your head. <laughs> yeah, and you remind me of um, your you're writing about letting go. You just mentioned letting go. You can let go. Um, you also said you can let come. I, I yeah. love that. It made me stop because you stopped at letting and then it was letting go and letting come. I, I just really appreciated that. Thank you. So it made me pause and go, oh, yeah. When we're trusting, we're letting come too as that. Um, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that deep intelligence that you talk about. Okay, so here's a quote. Often the energy of rushing is simply because we're not taking responsibility for our relationship with time. I told you I was going to talk about time. Mm -hmm. Our relationship with time. That is so empowering. Which brings us to this second direction within. Um, and in the second direction within is anchor to the present. Explain this direction to us. <laughs> um, I'm chuckling because obviously this is 
so central to everything you do. Um, within is, I don't think there is a, a religious actually or spiritual path that doesn't advocate and inspire people to realize the the only place of action is now, is this whatever, nanosecond, which can stretch to be <laughs> uh, an eternity, actually, depending on your state of consciousness. But um, the present moment is the only moment we have. And we can be in it, uh, like, but not really. Our minds are future casting or past casting or um, our bodies are uh, checked out. There's a lot of ways to find yourself not aware of the moment you're living in. So the practices in the direction of within are to keep yourself, and that's why the word anchor is used, to keep yourself anchored to the present moment. And um, and that's where we have to build very disciplined habits. This is why this thing about flow is uh, it's so paradoxical because people think going with the flow, you're just it's like nev, you know, wishy washy or like squish bob. Yeah, my real passive. Yeah, my experience is the opposite. It is, yeah. like, and that's why the vertical. It is precise. It has a huge amount of discipline. It's you know soft. And edgy, uh, it's a very rich, um, really dynamic uh, place to live. And it takes a lot of um, commitment to, to live out of that moment. Yeah. And tell us, why is, why is the pause so important? I loved this conversation. Why is the pause so important? And again, you know, it's funny. So I was going to say... I think there's also cultural differences and people differences here, but particularly in our current culture, um, we are encouraged to move at a pace that is, I believe, inhuman, actually. Yeah. And I think human beings, and you see the, the ecosystems in which we're embedded, you know, I'm surrounded by 55 acres of woods and trees that grow for hundreds and hundreds of years, these incredible red oaks. Um, they, you, you hang out with a tree, it knows about the pause. <laughs> 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 or a rock, I'm a rock climber. And you know, the earth, the earth lives in the pause. We're going into winter in the Northern hemisphere here. That is about the seasonal pause. So there's so much to the idea of pause. Yeah. And in our lives, we need to cultivate a very deliberate practice because in the pause is where there's a moment to listen for whether you simply need to stay in the pause or there is actually anything to do at all. Yeah, and you, you talk about how right action comes from that non-action, but they're both very important. They're like interrelated, um, balanced places when we're in this um, the second direction, when we're really in this present moment, that non-action is just as important as right action, and right action usually comes from within the non-action. Exactly, yes. And, yep. I love that. Okay, so the third direction, the final one on this vertical axis is below. So we did above 
and um, within and now below, which is respect creation. This is a huge one that most people probably don't think about in relation to leadership, yet mm -hmm. it's critical. So what does respect creation mean? Yeah, thank you for that lead-in because um, below has to do with the fundamental acknowledgement that we are on a living planet. Um, and this is where the way diversity gets defined is diversity relates to all of creation. Every last little shred of it. Um, I mean, I, I think of it even in terms of I drive a, a Prius um, and I thank the people who mined the very rare minerals that go into creating a car like that. You know, every piece of creation um, is part of what below is. Plants, animals, uh, rocks. So the respect creation has to do with the very deep uh, respect for all of life, every piece of it. And again, as you said, very much in the beginning, talking about, you know, my going to Alaska, um, Having spent so much time in the natural world, it's just such a given for me, but a lot of people um, don't. You know, they, they hardly set foot on on an actual ground or grass going from a house into a car, into a pavement, into a... So I think it's very easy to lift out of a sense of relationship with all of creation. Um, and that's what the below is very much um, pointing towards and at just like, and that it's all connected. Every piece is a part of this whole and we yeah. need to re really remember that. Yeah. And, and also humans and you yes. tell a yeah. beautiful tender story about, you know, befriending the homeless and, you know, just stopping to acknowledge them. And, and so when we're thinking about respecting creation, it's also those in the old paradigm of, of a, patriarchal dominating kind of of organizational structure those at the bottom um you know mm -hmm. that that literally you flip it over and you mix it all up and it becomes more of a, a circle of creation right more spherical and in that way when we respect all creation and all people so thank you for that and i want to give us time for the the rest mm -hmm. of these so mm -hmm. now we move to the horizontal axis and the fourth direction, which is the east, become emotionally agile. You say that when we heed what an emotion is telling us, we uncover essential truths about ourselves and our world and become more authentic beings. I love that. Talk about emotions and leadership. So this this um, domain is more familiar in the leadership circles with all the books on emotional intelligence that have come out in the last 20 years or so. And the fact that, oh, human beings have a heart and an emotional realm. And actually, <laughs> more often than not, it's the emotions that end up kind of controlling the day and the ability to... Um, fully embrace the wisdom of your heart and the wonderful intelligence of all emotions, anger, fear, sadness, joy. Um, because emotional agility, there's so much information coming through your emotional realm. 
about um, the situation at hand, the need at hand, uh, the quality of your own um, contribution, what you're acknowledging, what you're not acknowledging. So emotional agility has to do with owning the fullness of emotions. And this is what is, again, so paradoxical, because I think it can be scary for people if this isn't part of your sweet spot. It's like, whoa, if I, you know, if I actually feel a certain sadness coming on, I'm going to be overwhelmed by it. So I think I'll just dial it down. And um, <laughs> our emotions, just like our, they don't like to be dialed down. They're going to try to get your attention one way or another. So leaning into the feelings oddly allows you to learn how to ride them and enjoy them and and then it's like instead of painting with just red or blue, you get to paint with purple and green and, you know, pink. The emotions bring so much color. Um, so that's a little little bit of a riff on the emotional agility. And in a leadership role, everybody knows that very often the breakthrough stuff is sitting in that a lot of that emotional intelligence that people are nervous about trafficking in because it feels a little edgy or scary or what happens if everybody, you know, starts doing something and I can't control it. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're trained not to bring our emotions to work, aren't we? It's, exactly. it's a really a counterintuitive thing. Okay. I, I want to make sure we get to all of yes, these. Yes, so yes. I have other quotes. I have other mm-hmm. questions about each one of these, but I'm going to keep going on this. The fifth direction is South build physical resistance, resilience, not resistance, build physical resilience. This one seems obvious yet what it means to fully inhabit our bodies often gets overlooked. So how do we build physical resilience and why is this important in leadership? So, yes, um, bodies, uh, your body has all, so all four of these directions have vast intelligence, way more than you know. And um, in this particular direction, I really talk about different levels of inhabiting your body in a nutshell. So basic level is, you know, (laughs) did you sleep well last night? And if not, when you go to work, your fuse might be shorter because you are not well rested. So that's sort of... At a base tone, if you're not physically healthy, your ability to make decisions and everything else is less. And then it goes from there to when you fully inhabit this unbelievable physical vehicle you've been given, whoa, there is a level of intelligence that, you know, and again, as a mountaineer, I I hone this one deeply where, you know, everything looks fine, the weather seems good, and every cell of my body is saying danger, 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 danger. And it's like, I don't know why, I hear you. Well, we're all just going to sit down and play cards today. So there's a very deep level of intelligence in the bodies, in our bodies when we, when they're rested and then we really inhabit them and start to talk with them. That's, yeah. that, that's what that chapter is about. In it's show. brilliant too. It's brilliant. Um, our bodies are tuning forks, they're instruments. I love it. And, and listeners, I'm skimming over the top of these. There's so many amazing stories and, and everything in each one of these. It's worth picking up this book. So the sixth direction is the West, cultivate mental fluidity. What's mental fluidity, Perry? Well, I think you've got a lot of a lot of tools for this one. Well, you actually have a lot of tools for all of these, I noticed, on your website. Every one of these directions, you've got lots of great tools. This is basically about um, the... the uh, powerful use of the mind 
But mental fluidity has a lot to do with noticing the stories you're telling yourself. Mind and heart dance together. So a story that you've got about a situation often will lock you into not being able to see how to shift it or change it. So the mental fluidity has to do with getting very good at shedding a story, stepping back, realizing that that the lever for change is inside you, not out there. And what is it, what am I telling myself about this situation? And why am I telling myself that? So the ability to shed stories, to, I have a monthly day of silence that I practice, um, to go quiet, to go still, to really listen until the insight that you need just drops in like a, you know, you go still in your mind like a lake and insight comes in and then you know what to do. So it's the dance between stillness and shedding stories and and um, learning how to let your mind serve you instead of being dragged around by it. Mm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, the seventh direction, north. Embrace your spiritual destiny. I love how you weave this in. You explain that our destiny works in concert and in complement with others, with other people, with other on our work team. What can you teach us about spiritual destiny and why it's important? We don't often talk about spirituality in the workplace, and yet this is like a no-brainer in, in the indigenous culture. This is brilliant. So right. what can you teach us about spiritual destiny? So this, this weaves back to this idea of diversity and empowerment and the gifts of others often hold the key to our own ability to thrive. And in the spirit, the, the direction of the North, it's this wonderful ability to um, uh, live your gifts, know that your gifts um, are brought to life by interacting with others. And one of the, it's, it's almost one of my favorite chapters and maybe this I'm sure has to do with my wiring where I, you know, for years I flew all over the world and I felt like I needed to save it or whatever, you know, I was doing. Um, and this idea of serving the whole where um, you, ser- you serve people all the time and probably the people you have the biggest impact you will never know by simply being yourself. So that that chapter in the North has to do with embracing the fact that you are unique, you have a gift that nobody else on this planet does, and for God's sake, bless you, bring it. And um, that's and, and when you do, it has an impact you that's very powerful. And it can seem so small, but there's no such thing as small. You touch one person's life, you've touched the whole web. I love your genius, Perry. Where did you learn? I mean, I have one more really important question I want to ask you. But where did you learn? This one might be the most important. I don't know. Um, Where did you learn about serving the whole? Where did that develop inside of you as an individual? Oh, (laughs) I think that was a big legacy piece. My, my, My grandmother... Uh, whose home I live in now. It, w- it came to me when she died. She worked with, you know, integration of the schools in Little Rock. My parents were all about um, social justice. So 
um, you know, one of the phrases I heard my grandmother say all the time was, there but by the grace of God go I. Mm. And I so my, my parents, even though we grew up in a small town in Vermont, they constantly exposed us to other cultures, other context, you know, to... Though, and we lived a very simple life, but it was that phrase of to whom much has been given, much will be required. Like, it's all about the give back. Yeah. You know, and there's shadows in that, of course, but, but fundamentally it's true. <laughs> okay, so let's end on joy. I'm going to give you a minute or two to respond to this. I want to read a quote here, but I love how you write about joy and talk about joy. This, uh, so here's a quote. Your gifts come from the universe itself. Using them in service to the well-being of the whole awakens an unconditional experience of joy. Joy, which is possible because it is dancing with all the other emotions too. It is a kind of joy that honors a fundamental grace which lives in all of creation. Talk to us about joy in a minute or two. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, your book, Fractured Grace, I mean, for me, um, I, don't, I don't know how to put words to it, actually, uh, because it's, it's the experience of being held, of being held by something larger than yourself. And uh, the grace in that, the, the, you know, goes murky, but the joy is um, doing my part and knowing it's enough. There's a quality of contentment. It's not, it's not sort of like, I mean, there are moments of leapy, leapy joy or whatever. You know, when I go out and I have two horses and I go out and see my horses, I can't, I just, a grin comes across my face. It doesn't matter how I'm feeling. It's the same when I go out, I greet the day. First thing in the morning, I step out of the house and I look up in the sky and I say, good morning, planet Earth. <laughs> um, mm. it's, it's that kind of. Um, it's both profound and light at the same time, you know, because there's a there's a buoyancy to it, uh, and 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 it's just do your one piece. You just got one piece. <laughs> just take your one piece and do that, and and in, and then when you live your one piece, you just revel in the coolness and the weirdness and the idiosyncratic nature of everybody else's because they get way more interesting when all your when you've taken care of your own. <laughs> you just go. Wow, that person is so strange, and I love them because they're <laughs> themselves. So that's the kind of the joy is reciprocal that way. There's a few thoughts. I don't know, <laughs> and endemic, and I can feel the joy in your voice. I'm so glad I asked that question to to just wrap this show, Perry. This was really delightful, and reading the book is is really a, a beautiful experience. Leadership flow, the unstoppable power of connection. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Julie. It's been a real pleasure. Mm. And I want to leave you with the words of Perry. We're never alone, no matter how deeply we believe this to be true. Embedded in the vast web of creation, bathed in the wonder and resilience of this planet, we are in community with all that is. When we remember this truth is when we truly return to we. We are each here for a reason, and we are all needed. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.